Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. So, welcome, welcome to our uh, our 8:30 service. Man, I'll tell you what though, last week we were simply praying uh, for uh, for everything going on, those afflicted uh, with coronavirus, everything like that. And uh, this week, we're obviously switching things up. You know, schools have been canceled. Uh, stay-at-home parents, I am so sorry for you. Um, but even more so than you, those people, man, uh, who don't have childcare or anything like that, who <laughs> weren't banking on schools going out or uh, being closed for a month, uh, we are we are sorry. Um, people's work lives are obviously up in the air. Uh, there's a toilet paper shortage. Um, and so I just want to make you aware ours are all secured in the bathrooms. So don't, we've thought about it. Plus our toilet paper is real scratchy anyway. So you don't want any of that. Um, but, uh, before we really launch into the message this morning, we, I I do want to take an opportunity to just kind of talk through, um, what we are doing in order to serve the world. Uh, kind of in this time of crisis. And so obviously since Governor Newsom uh, implemented the recommendation of no gathering over 250 people, uh, we've been working tirelessly uh, uh, to see kind of what the 21st century church could look like uh, apart from meeting in our regular spaces. Um, This is uncharted territory. I don't know about you, but I've never walked through, I've never pastored anybody through a pandemic before. Um, And my guess is, is that this is probably bigger than anything you have all walked through in your lives. I know I was talking to my mom and my stepdad last night and they said the same thing. They said, I can't, I mean, in the 60 plus years that I've been on this earth, I've never never seen anything uh, quite like this. And so just want you to know, as of now, our plan is gonna be to continue to meet on the weekend. That's as of now. Um, I want you to know that uh, tonight we have a, uh, an executive board meeting. We moved our executive board meeting up so we could try to figure out uh, what our plan is and not just our plan for the weekends, uh, not just our plan for uh, meeting and small group. What do small groups look like? What does Wednesday night look like? What is all, not just that, um, but how we can take this opportunity to be able to impact our community in a positive way. Um, because I really do think that is what we need to be talking about now as a church more than anything. Um, It's times like this that we recognize that our hope is not in governments, uh, our hope is not in school districts, uh, our hope is not in our jobs or anything like that. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. Um, And and because of that, uh, we need to make sure that those people who do not yet know Jesus and who are living fearfully and who are living in times of uncertainty right now recognize that there is indeed a peace that surpasses understanding and his name is Jesus. Um, and so that's one of the things that we're going to be we're going to be talking about uh, tonight. Um, I want you to know that uh, since Thursday, I've been in contact with numerous pastors in town. I've been talking with uh, the pastor uh, Kyle over at Glad Tidings Church, Andrew over at Koinonia, been in contact with Gilbert, who's over at South Valley, um, and a couple other spaces and people uh, as well. We have a conference call scheduled uh, for Tuesday morning with Christian Leaders Network. Um, to uh, talk through what it looks like for all the faith-based organizations, Adventist Health included. What does that look like for us to come alongside uh, one another to make the largest possible impact we can make in the world, uh, in our community specifically, um, because that's, that's what the church, these are the times the church needs to be able to do that. I'm also involved with a group of pastors 
from Southern California all the way up through Washington uh, who are brainstorming best practices. And so even things like what does it look like for our office staff? What does it look like for our ministry staff? What does this look like for our budget? What does this look like for giving on a regular basis? What does this look like for us moving, uh, moving forward? Um, and so some things that I want you to know that we're currently brainstorming, this is not a blood oath, this is things that we have in the works that we hope we can get off the ground, um, is how to feed kids who are reliant on school meals. Um, and so uh, we have kids in our community who uh, rely on schools for breakfast and lunch. And so what does it look like for the church to come alongside some of those kids uh, who don't have any things and specifically talking with uh, Kings County Action Organization uh, to figure out how we, can, how we can help feed some of those kids. Um, we're also talking about how we can provide childcare uh, for healthcare workers, people who are going to be inundated uh, with, with work beyond even their normal scope of things. So what does that look like and how can we, how can we come along aside uh, some of those things? And then uh, even beyond that, how can, we, uh, how can we get food and groceries to those people um, who are the most susceptible to coronavirus. So people who are elderly, uh, people uh, whose immune systems uh, aren't, don't, they don't have strong immune systems because of other diseases and that sort of thing. What does it look like for the church to be able to even just provide some, something as simple as groceries or even above that, how can we partner with them to get them necessary medication to keep them safe and that sort of thing. So these are all things that we are currently brainstorming um, and uh, I'll have a meeting with our board tonight. Like I said, I have other meetings throughout the week to try to figure out how we can best serve the world in the midst of this whole thing. And so just keep your eye out, like Pastor Jeff said, for an announcement regarding how we, what we are going to be doing moving forward, uh, probably tomorrow morning after I meet with our board and then announcements uh, to follow. And so uh, if you're not getting our email, you can sign up for that. Um, but uh, you can sign up for that online. And uh, if you're on social media, we'll make sure that all of those things are, uh, are posted to our social media channels as well. So all that being said, uh, God is incredibly timely uh, oftentimes. And, uh, and so this morning's message is, is definitely one of those messages. So we're gonna be in John 10, uh, but before we get there, we're gonna take a second. I wanna reset. I'm going to, uh, uh, bad joke, but disinfect this morning so far and pray. And uh, I know, oh, don't do that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to pray, we're going to reset, and then we're going to launch into it. So bow with me. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do just pray for our country right now, well, not just our country, but our entire world, as there are so many people living in fear right now. There are so many people in panic right now. There are so many people who don't know what tomorrow is going to bring because of possible loss of job, because of school closures, because of, I mean, because of getting sick. And so, God, I just, I pray a peace over our nation, pray a peace over our community, that we as a church, the capital C Church, would see this as an opportunity to impact and serve your world. Because regardless of our thoughts on it, regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of how overblown we may feel it be, or regardless how, how not cautious we are being, even by meeting this morning in some people's eyes, Father, I just pray 
above all else that we as a Christian community would not begin the infighting that tears us apart, but instead we'd be able to stand up and say, this is the void that the church is responsible for filling. Father, that we would step in to an incredibly scared world with the hope of your son. And so God, I pray as we talk through John 10 this morning that you would open up our hearts and our minds to the things that you would have for us, the things that we can apply to our lives specifically. Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, I grew up in a, uh, in a little farm town, uh, Atwater, California, right up the 99. You've probably passed it, saw a Chevron sign as you were driving by, maybe stopped for gas there once or twice. Uh, but for the most part, you don't stop in Atwater. There's nothing even endearing about Atwater, like, you know, Superior Dairy or anything like that. No one, there's nothing, like, there's a Foster's Freeze. That's about as close as we got, and that's a chain restaurant, and so you just keep driving by. But they have great taco seasoning on their fries, in case you're curious. So, uh, so I grew up in Atwater. So I grew up in a farm town. I grew up around animals. 4-H was was uh, huge in our high school, uh, and it, well, not uh, uh, that's not 4-H. 4-H was huge in elementary and, and junior high, and then they did the other thing in high school. What's the other thing called? That one. Um, obviously, I was super involved. Uh, and so FFA was the high school thing, and, and I didn't do 4-H, I didn't do FFA, and not just because I didn't look good, like in white denim or anything like that, um, but because of the fact that I just, I, I had no desire to ever do it. I never was going to be a farmer. I wasn't raised on a farm. I wasn't raised on, on a dairy or a ranch or anything like that. That just, it just wasn't me. Okay. I hated even going out and mowing our lawn. Like that was the extent of uh, my, my cropping, if you will. <laughs> so I have zero context for what it looks like to be a rancher or to be a farmer or anything like that. So in John 10, it's talking about Jesus being the good shepherd. And so I was always like trying to drive context for this and trying to figure out and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm hosed. Like there's nothing I can pull from. Like my kids are like sheep and I have to like, you know, and it was just like, nope, nope, because then I'm gonna call my kids dumb and then it's never gonna go. It's not gonna go okay. Um, so instead I decided, okay, what can indeed give us context? Um, for John 10. And anytime that you're looking for context, you can always apply scripture to scripture. That's one of the ways to make sure that you're remaining biblically sound. And so as I was doing my research and doing my research in John 10, one of the things, one of the passages that really um, highlights what John 10 is talking about is actually Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. It's one of the most famous passages for sure in the New Testament. Um, but uh, this gives us context for what Jesus is talking about. And this is written a thousand years before Jesus even comes onto the scene. So Psalm 23 verses one through six, you have probably heard it at funerals more so than anything. But it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. So when I talk about the idea that this John 10 passage is a very timely passage, as we're even listening to the words written by David back in Psalm 23, you can simply get chills listening to it based on where our country, where our world currently is. And in John 10, 121, Jesus actually says, he talks about the, the idea that his ancestor David's most famous song was all about him. And, he, and we really shouldn't be surprised by this. After all, Jesus sees nighttime lights in the temple a few stories back and says that he's the light of the world. And now Jesus says that he is the real shepherd of God's people. You know, no wonder people thought that Jesus was crazy. Right? We've talked about this, is figuring out who, who Jesus actually is, and that there really is a, a constant tension between, oh, he's crazy, he is from Satan, he is a demon, he is whatever it is that they decided to call him, or he is of God. And this story is going to feel exactly the same, is there's going to be two groups of people. Actually, the very end of the story, uh, it, it, it even talks about that, and I'll get to that in just a second. But Jesus is claiming to be the good shepherd. And we are a people, our responsibility as people is indeed to worship Jesus Christ. Worship Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our role. Let that sink in. Because there's places in the world where, where, where that'll get you killed. Not just to admire him, not just to follow him, not just to swear allegiance to him on Sunday mornings. We worship Jesus. And this point is the, the point that the Pharisees and the Jews in this story really are going to be wrestling with. Um, because if you think back to John chapter 9, we just finished walking through all of John chapter 9. And John chapter 9 is a story of a man who was blind since birth. And Jesus, he, uh, he spits into some dirt, he makes some mud, he smears it on the guy's eyes. He says, hey, go wash your face off. He goes, he washes his face off. And then all of a sudden he can see Jesus restores this man's sight. And at the end of that story, the Pharisees and, and the Jews, they're torn as to who Jesus actually is. Actually in John 9, 24, the Pharisees tell the man who had been healed, uh, he tells them, give glory to God. We know that this man, they're talking about Jesus, is a sinner. They're saying, hey, look, not him, God. God is the one who restored your sight, not Jesus. And so there's one camp of people there. And then you look at John 9, 38. The healed man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He worshiped Jesus. So we have two camps here again. Right, two camps of people, one who is saying, no, he's of the devil, and the other one saying, no, he is Lord. The division couldn't be deeper. Blasphemy or worship, that's what it really does come down to. There's no fence sitting in the end, not there. Jesus is either insane in what he is saying here, or he is God. And it's our responsibility to decide. And by the way, John writes this gospel specifically to inform us that Jesus had done all of these things that were recorded. And because of that, you should believe that he is God, not of Satan. That's the whole purpose of John actually 
writing this gospel. So the very nature of John 10 is that that we need to decide what it is that we believe about Jesus. Because if we skip to the last two verses, like I said in John 10, or last three verses rather, 19 through 21, it says this, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Verse 21, but others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So again, at the end of this story, I'm taking a peek, giving you a sneak peek as to where it lands. But perhaps the most important group of leaders or shepherds uh, of people at the time were the Pharisees. And so these are the same people that Jesus is talking to right now, and they're deeply divided. They were were a group of lay teachers of the law. They were a group of lay teachers of, of this scribe. They believed in angels. They believed in life after death. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in eternal punishment. They believed in rewards. In addition to the law, they also believed, uh, they they believed the Old Testament. They believe in the tradition of their ancestors uh, as well and just spent their time teaching people and condemning people for not being perfect. It's where the Pharisees kind of landed and Jesus actually criticized them for this on numerous occasions. Jesus criticized them more so for their hypocrisy than anything, for not practicing what they preach. They taught true things from the law of Moses, but they didn't do those things. For example, Jesus criticized them for divorcing their wives for any and every reason except for marital unfaithfulness in Matthew 19. And it was the Pharisees who put the once blind man through the ringer in John chapter nine, verses 13 to 17. They rejected Jesus. The Pharisees rejected Jesus as a sinner for healing on the Sabbath. And they also rejected the man who was once blind as a sinner for being blind in the first place. And the Pharisees are seen as leaders. The Pharisees are seen as teachers and instead they are these people who are just kind of blind guides to those people who are following them. Nevertheless, the Pharisees are shepherds. They have the respect of the people and the people listen to what they do, the people listen to what they say. And so in chapter 10, with the people and Pharisees listening, Jesus uses an extended metaphor about who people uh, should follow. In verse one through six, Jesus actually tells the people that he is indeed the shepherd starts in verse one. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all, uh, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling him. Now, Jesus doesn't name himself specifically in the first part of this passage. He, he allows the Pharisees to try and sort that out, but he's trying to get them to understand who he is trying to get them to understand who he is exactly. And the works that he has done show that he enters by the gate. He's telling them, hey, look, all of these things I've done, the water to wine, all the different miracles, the blind man seeing, all of these things that I've done allows you to know that I have entered into the gate. He heals the blind, the crippled walk. He even raises the dead. Jesus is the master of creation who was able to heal all people. And so his signs should precede him. 
They should recognize who he is because of what he has done. Jesus enters by the gate, the front door, as shown by his signs. And he comes in with the approval of God the Father. He comes to call his sheep, and one of those sheep is that man who was once blind. And as a sheep, that man will see who Jesus is in spite of the Pharisees. The Pharisees' rebuke of the once blind man is why Jesus rebukes them altogether. The healed man, as we saw just before, now worships Jesus. The sheep will follow the shepherd and listen to him and receive eternal life from him. But in verse 6, like it says, the Pharisees are kind of confused. They don't get it or they don't want to get it. And, and because of that, Jesus actually doubles down on his metaphor. So in John 10, verses 7 through 9, Jesus makes it a little bit more concrete. Verse 7 says, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come and go out and find pasture. So Jesus calls himself the gate for the sheep. And I want you really to hone in on that last verse there, verse nine, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Can you imagine anything better for a sheep than just like a massive field with overgrown weeds? Like I don't, I, I, uh, again, I, I didn't wear white denim, so I don't understand how this whole thing works. But in my brain, I'm thinking to myself, okay, if there's a bunch of sheep, really all they want is food and water. Maybe a nice place to lie down, a little grassy knoll somewhere, you know. Oh, look, here's a ton of weeds. All the food and bed that I could possibly want is out there waiting for me. And so as we talk about this idea of John 10 and the juxtaposition of John 10 with Psalm 23 and talking about the fact that he allows me to lie down in green pastures, and then Jesus says they will come in and out and find what? Pasture, rest, home, peace. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And so he calls himself the gate for the sheep. He is the gate. Jesus doesn't just call himself the gatekeeper. And Jesus doesn't say, oh yeah, I'll open the gate for people to come through and then I'll close the gate. Jesus doesn't call himself the gate key. He calls himself the actual gate. Jesus is a gate that both includes and excludes people. Jesus here is telling them, look, I'm it. I'm not the key. I'm not the doorkeeper. You want eternal life. You want to please and honor God. You have to come through the gate. You have to come through me. That's what he's talking about here. And he says, look, behind me, behind the gate, these are, these are good, there are good things behind me. You'll find rest, you'll find pasture, you will be saved. But it's through no other way. It is through no other way. John 10, or John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, look, I'm the gate, I'm it. You wanna come in and lie down in green pastures? Hey, come on in, lie down in green pastures. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul and guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You want peace? I'm the gate, come on in. Then Jesus juxtaposes the rest he gives to the thief, the one who hops the fence, if you will. 
and does his best to distract the sheep. He talks about this in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Our life, the life that God promised us when we worship Jesus is one that is full. It is a life that is beautiful. It is a life that is restful. It is a life that is peaceful. And when I say that there, there's a quick reaction in my head and maybe maybe in your head as well, that my life isn't peaceful. There is nothing about our current world that is relaxing. There are no pastures that I currently lying down in because my kids are out of school for an entire month. My only pasture is a locked bedroom door right now. And maybe even like a locked bathroom door behind that one as well. Like that's pasture for us right now. And it's, it, and it's not so, it's a not so subtle reminder that our hope, like I said, like Jeff said, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is found in one place and that hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. That's where it's found. And that's, that's in the person who says, look, everything else about this world is crazy. The thief, he wants to kill you. He is going to kill and steal and destroy everything he can, but come to me Come through the gate. I am the gate. Come through me and I will show you peace. I will show you rest. Regardless of everything else that is outside this pen, regardless of everything else that's outside there, if you walk through this gate, I promise you, I will keep the predators out. I am your peace. I will show you peace and not peace because your job's gonna be secure tomorrow because you follow Jesus, but peace because you know regardless of what happens with your job, God is bigger than that. Not peace because your kids' schools are gonna, be open, are gonna open back up and you won't have to watch Frozen 2 for the 30th time tomorrow, which is available on Disney Plus as we speak right now. But because God is bigger than that, even when your schools don't open, not peace because the stock market is going to shoot through the roof tomorrow and your retirement is going to be like two nest eggs now instead of one. And I don't even know if that's an actual thing. But peace because God is bigger than that. And he does all things for the good of those who love him. It's that peace. Look, when you come to follow Jesus, when you say yes to following Jesus, man, you are not signing up for the easiest life in the world. That doesn't mean that all the problems in the world are gonna go away. It doesn't mean that your personal stock portfolio, 401k is gonna shoot through the roof while everybody else is going straight down. It doesn't mean that, oh, a single teacher is gonna be willing to tutor your kid because you follow Jesus and nobody else does. That's not what that means. It means that God is bigger than your circumstances. It means if you are going to find peace, you need to recognize that God does, the, he, he provides the good for all of those who love them. All those things are for us. The shepherd has a pasture waiting for you. And I think in uncertain times, I think in crazy times that we're living in, just fearful times that we're living in, that the shepherd has a pasture waiting for you. John 10, 11 through 18 says this. It says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away 
Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's got no responsibility for the sheep. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking there about the Jews and the Gentiles who eventually come into one pen. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. He tells them here, he tells the Pharisees here, he tells the Jews here, he's talking to that no one provides you rest and pasture and salvation except the good shepherd. No one except me. No one. He's saying, look guys, all these other people, these Pharisees, these people who seem to be tending the sheep, at the first sign of trouble, they're gone. Why? Because those sheep, they're not theirs. They have no real responsibility for them. Worst case scenario, those shepherds, they go find another job. It's not even their burden to bear. And I really began to feel the weight of this as I began to be a pastor. Even way back uh, when I was a pastor, uh, a youth pastor years back, I recognized that those kids, those students, they were in my care, especially when we would go away like on mission trips or camps. Um, and I was the one responsible for all of these teenagers who were prone to do dumb things because they're teenagers. And if you're a teenager in here, I am impressed. You know that 8.30 actually exists. But they were prone to do dumb things like we all are. Um, and so I remember one time specifically, uh, I took a group of students down to Mexico. We were building houses for the week and um, it was at HTC and I took all the kids from all four campuses and I was the point person for this specific trip. And so we had like 80 kids that we brought down there. It was kind of madness. And um, the place where we stayed, uh, so we would go out during the day and we'd come back, we'd do the worship thing. And it was like this really small room with a whole bunch of kids, not all of them. The freshmen in the room didn't understand how to use deodorant yet or anything like that. And so it just stunk and it was gross and it was terrible and it was a mission trip. Um, and at nighttime, there was, you know, the, the girls' bunks were on one side of the hall, the guys' bunks were on the other side of the hall, but in able to uh, fit all of us in, they had triple bunks, right? And so there's one bunk that's real low, one in the middle, and one, one real high. And so at about 1.30 a.m., I woke up to a very disturbing noise. It was the sound of a body hitting the floor from the top bunk. And they didn't have rails and... I mean, okay, it's Mexico and it's mission trips. I was like, of course they don't have rails. And they're high school students, so I figured, come on, no one's turning around in their sleep or anything. So I had one of my all-time favorite students, I can say that now because there's no way she's listening to this. Uh, one of my all-time favorite students in the middle of the night rolled off the top bunk of her bed, fell the probably six feet to the ground, um, woke up in midair, as she tells it. I woke up in midair and she hit her chin and gashed, I know, I know uh, and gashed her chin open right here. So you wanna talk about like being concerned for your sheep. It's 1.30 in the morning, we're in Mexico, uh, and I have a student whose dad was a captain of the police chief in Apple Valley. Um, 
and uh, who I didn't know what to do with, with her. Because I'm like, okay, do I drive her to San Diego with a massive gash? That's at least an hour and a half drive for us to get there through the border, all that stuff. By the time we get there, and probably another hour sitting in urgent care waiting for someone to stitch her face up. And so I go and I talk to uh, the guy who's in charge of the missions organization. His name is Eddie. He's a very kind man, but not necessarily at 1.30 in the morning. And um, knocked on his door. He lived next door. And I was like, Eddie, hey, man, uh, got a situation, got a girl uh, who is bleeding profusely from her chin right now. And so I was like, oh, it's fine. No, what? what? Like, no, 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 it's fine. There's a clinic just down the road. It's a clean clinic. We've taken students there before, broken bones, stitches, all of that stuff. We've never had any problems. Why don't you take her over there? And so I was like, okay, I don't speak Spanish. Eddie, can you come with me? He's like, well, how about I send my wife instead? I was like, classic man at 1.30 in the morning, right? Like, you know, when I'm real sleepy, I got stuff to do, I'll send my wife. Um, they're better. She, you know, she cared for our babies a long time ago at 1.30 in the morning. She's better. So he sends, uh, sends her, her name is Marguerite, and uh, she came with us over to the clinic. So it was myself, this teenage student named Melissa, Marguerite, and uh, one of our female leaders all came with us. And at this point, this girl's just got a knot on her chin. I mean, it's the size of a ping pong ball sticking off of her chin. Um, and so we go over there and before I allow them to put a needle into this girl's face, uh, I had to make a very terrifying phone call to her parents. Um, and so I, call, I called and there's Jason, his name is Jason. And, um, you know, you start off the conversation by saying, hey, it's, I mean, it's probably two o'clock in the morning at this point and I'm calling from Mexico. Hey, everybody's fine, but <laughs> Melissa fell off her bunk bed <laughs> and she's gonna have to get, it looks like about five stitches in the bottom of her chin. Um, I told him, I said, it's going to be a couple hours to get to San Diego. I said the whole thing. And I was like, are you okay if we allow this clinic to be able to give her stitches? I just want your, you know, authority to say yes before in, a, in you know, Mexico to be able to stitch up somebody. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. No problem. Go not, you know, no big deal. Um, and so he's like, can I pay you for it? Can I reimburse you for it or anything like that? And he was just like the nicest guy in the world and all that stuff. But the amount of fear that I had before making that phone call, the burden that I had before making that decision, because I had this girl who was under my care, whose parents trusted me to keep her safe, to shepherd her well, all of a sudden had an inch gash in the bottom of her chin that needed to be stitched up in a country that I didn't know what their sanitation requirements were for hospitals specifically, or for clinics, not even hospitals, at two o'clock in the morning. And so I made the call and I was absolutely terrified, but I recognized that it was my responsibility, it was my burden to be able to bear. Now, this is, this is way different than what this story is talking about right now. Okay, I recognize that if she fell off the bunk and hit her chin and started bleeding out and they were like, hey, the only way we're going to save her is if we take all of your blood, that probably would have been a different conversation, right? If someone was like, hey, no, 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 I'm, I'm the shepherd. I am, I, I'm going to lay down my life for hers. And in the back of my head, I'd be thinking, no, that's your fault. You shouldn't have rolled off your bunk in the middle of the night. Like, sorry, good luck. I'm not Jesus here. Okay, but it, we can come to the same conclusion, though, in recognizing that there is indeed a burden here. There is a burden here. 
And that's what separates a shepherd from a good shepherd. I was shepherding those kids, specifically for safety, spiritual care, that sort of thing. But as soon as trouble came, I was terrified. And beyond that, if the odds would have been much worse, I don't know how I would have acted. And that's what, shep- that's what separates a shepherd from a good shepherd. Jesus said, look, I'm the door, I'm the good shepherd. It doesn't matter what goes down. I will be willing, willingly and lovingly lay my life down for my sheep. And when I do that, it won't be the instill. I'm gonna actually conquer death and I'm gonna be raised back up because your pasture, your salvation is worth it to me to do so. Because me and my dad, we love you so much that when everyone else falls away, when everything else in your world falls apart, when viruses are scaring the sanity out of people, look at me who will willingly lay down my life for you so you can have pasture, so you can have rest. So really the takeaway for today is pretty simple. Jesus is either a lunatic or he is God. He can't be both. And if you have placed your faith in him and recognize him as the door and as the good shepherd, then we need to rest in the comfort that God is bigger than our circumstances. That God is bigger than our circumstances. And I'm not saying that as a platitude to make you feel good. This is a promise from God. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. And that peace is necessary to a world that is in panic right now. That's why this is the church's opportunity to step into a panic-stricken world. It's a peace that the world desperately needs right now more than ever, and it's our opportunity, church, to step up to the plate. There's a great A.W. Tozer quote. He puts it this way, a scared world needs a fearless church. Scared world needs a fearless church, and not a church that isn't concerned with its fellow man, not a church that wants to pretend that the world isn't going through something real or something that's not threatening, a church that's fearless because we know the peace that goes before us. We know the gate that is Christ and our good shepherd would lay our life, would lay his life down on our behalf. So we are going to do our, our best church to make sure that every single person who needs to know that indeed knows that. The time for simply inviting people to church to hear about Jesus is over. Because for one of the first times in the history of our country, the corporate church may not be able to open its doors next week. And if you haven't thought about that, if you haven't thought about the fear that that automatically puts into maybe your lives and the traditions that you hold and the things that you hold dear and recognizing the religious freedom that we have in this country, but also wanting to do our best to love our fellow man and loving our fellow man may simply mean, hey, we're gonna do church different and that means not all of us are gonna get together for a week. I don't know where we land. I don't know where we land. But your oikos is afraid right now. The people in your life are fearful right now. There is uncertainty right now. There are needs not being met right now. They don't know what to do in an uncertain and fearful world. And in church, it is our time to be fearless. And we are fearless because of our good God. We are fearless because of our good shepherd. Not because of who we are. We're gonna do something different this morning as we close and we're gonna bow and pray in just a second. But as I pray, I'm going to start by reading the 23rd Psalm again. And when I'm done reading that 
23rd Psalm, and as I'm doing it, I want you to, to quietly meditate on those words that God has given us. But when I'm done, I'm gonna simply be quiet for a moment. And I don't like awkward silences. It's weird for me. I don't like silence in general. I'm a let's have something on, like some sort of background noise on all the time. Um, but I'm simply gonna be quiet for a moment. And in that silence, I want you to lift up those people in your life who are afraid and uncertain because they don't know the good shepherd. Because they don't know that Christ is the gate. They don't know that there is a pasture of peace waiting for them. So I'm gonna praise through Psalm 23 and then I'll take a moment to be quiet and then we'll end with the, the ABCs. And afterwards, if you just want some more prayer, you want uh, to talk with somebody or anything like that, we'll have Paul and Donna Klein will be at the front as usual um, to be able to meet with you. But bow with me. Psalm 23. God, we thank you for Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, we recognize the fear and uncertainty in our world. And God, we pray for those who don't yet know you. God, we even pray for those who are in here who are just merely seeking peace on their own. And God, I pray that we would recognize that you're our good shepherd. That you give us pasture. That you give us rest. That you give us peace. And not because you make our lives easier, God, but because we recognize that you do 
all things for the good of those who love you. So God, I pray that we would be about showing people what it looks like to love you. God, we pray for our oikoses, those people in our lives who don't yet know you, who are under our care. God, I pray that to this scared world that we would be a fearless church. Father, I'm thankful for those here this morning God, and I pray that with this message they would go and not just think about it, but go do something about it. God, I pray that you would allow us to impact our communities, that the church would truly step into the void that has been created, where we recognize that it's not government, That's the hope of our world, it's you. And you've made the local church your plan A for reaching the world. So God, I pray we'd step up to the plate. And Father, for those who don't know you, those who may be concerned and fearful and seeking peace and don't know where else to go and so church was it, God, I I just pray that they would pray along with me right now as we close the service, as we always do with the ABCs, that we would just say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that that my fear has overcome me, that I am panicking, that I need something greater to live for than simply myself, that I am looking for that peace. And, and Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and I, and I need a Savior. And I believe, I, be, I believe that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And not only did he die, not only did he lay down his life, but he picked it back up again. He conquered death so I could be in pasture with him forever. And see, I choose to follow you every single day of my life. That I would love you to the best of my ability. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.